and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my partner in crime, Darcy, with me this afternoon. Darcy, how What's you doing? What's up? Um, making up, living the dream. Oh, yeah. Still breathing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Barely, right? Bare- literally, barely, but I'm still breathing. Had a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on this week. We had our home inspection today, and it was interesting. Um... Luckily, the inspectors came back and said, "Hey, this house is solid. Like, oh, for, good. this is a, this house is 130 years old, and it's solid. There's only a couple little things that you need to fix up, you know, and that you have to yeah. worry about, you know, a thousand to two thousand dollars worth of stuff, and you should be good to go, which is nice. Wow. So we were excited, um, just because we were concerned since it's such an old house that there mm-hmm. was going to be some major, major stuff that was going to need to be done. And don't get me wrong, there's there's some crazy stuff that needs to be fixed in there, like some yeah. electrical issues and some pipe issues and things like that. But it's nothing that's going to prevent us from getting the house, and it's stuff that we can fix gradually as we go. So it's not going to be too bad to like. And do that, that other house you were looking at was going to be a lot more expensive in terms of repairs, right? So get this: these guys had actually been out to that house and done a walkthrough on it for another buyer. The inspectors. Yeah, and they were like, what? "Oh no, that house was a hot mess. Like Ooh. it was a gut job." You're lucky Ooh. you didn't get involved in that because that one was bad. Nice. You got out right at the right time. Yeah, we did. Thank goodness. Um, but we weren't really ever into that house anyway. It was just right. kind of like we wanted to see the inside and see if it, how much work it was going to need. And we had heard that it was going to need a lot of work. And we got in there, we were like, oh, yeah, this is too much work. Yeah. We're not willing Good. to put the time and energy in to, to do this for this space. Yeah. And it was more about the location of the house. Like, we liked the street that it was on. We liked the yard and things like that. But then once we got into the inside and saw, mm-hmm. like, it was a lot smaller than we thought it was. And there's a lot of other stuff going on mm-hmm. that just kind of made it, like, every single wall in that house was awful. Like, it looked Ooh. like somebody flung cake batter onto it. It was just terrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it, the it was, one that you're looking at is on the water, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, yeah. they're both on the water. They're both river oh, okay. houses. So that, and that's why we're interested in them. But, yeah. um, one of them is about 3000 square feet and that includes the attic. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, every single bathroom in the house needs to be redone. Every single floor of the house needs to be redone. Mm. There's no hardwood floors on half the, f- the floors in the house. What? Whereas this other house that we're into now has hardwood everywhere. It's yeah. the whole thing is hardwood and it's original hardwood. Whereas the, the house that we were looking at prior um, just has carpet everywhere and underneath is like particle board. Ew. Yeah. So we were just like, oh, so no, we've got to replace with carpet. Yeah. No. So, and it had it's just the grossest carpet. So everything was going to need to be ripped out. All the walls were going to need to be taken down to the studs. It was just, and that doesn't even include the damage that was going on inside. There was some significant water damage coming in from all the chimneys and the roof and things like that so they really just had not done a good job of keeping up with the house and they had put on this greenhouse addition on the side that was like literally falling off the house they had a roof that was put on in 2017 that was coming apart it's like this is three years old and it's already falling down around the house so what Mm, what did you offer a high five and a charms blow pop i mean i would not pay Uh, money for that thing well we we put an offer in on it um that was before we got this house that we're Back that we're doing now yeah. and they came back and said absolutely not here's our last and final offer and it was way above what that house is worth like it was yeah. not there was no way it was going to appraise they had a very overinflated sense of what their their house yeah was worth, for real anyway we walked away from that and we're just like deuces because we're not going to waste our time and energy and if we didn't get the yeah. house that we were doing now we were just going to wait so yeah it's been you interesting ended up with the better in the better we situation. Did. Um, the house that we are getting now is larger and it's got a lot more investment opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's got some very, very beautiful woodwork in it. It's got some very unique pieces that are original to the house when it was built in the 1890s. And it's just, it's very exciting to kind of get into it as a history buff. I'm just, I'm thrilled yeah. to get That's something cool. like this. Um, anyway, uh, I want to talk about a couple things today that are pretty interesting that I have checked out in the news. And I don't know if you have heard about this Wayfair thing going on right now. Um, I yes, no. So uh, I saw that there's something, but I don't actually know what it is. It's supposed to do with human trafficking. And people oh. think that Wayfair, the company known for its stylish and economical furniture, has made headlines because it's part of a human trafficking conspiracy. 
So uh, it's totally far-fetched. They have had people going back and forth back and forth about this on the internet. They have had Reddit threads on it, all kinds of crazy stuff. But evidently there are some products that have popped up on these websites as extremely expensive. For instance, there was a desk that was like $17,000. There was like a cabinet that was like 30 grand or whatever. So these conspiracy theorists have um, sort of put it out there that these are not actual pieces of furniture that are being sold, that they're actually selling children. So when you purchase this desk or this cabinet or whatever, uh, that you would actually get a child for that $30,000 rather than a piece of furniture that would be delivered to you. And they say I that can't. the reason for their belief in this is that, number one, the objects are named after missing children that have gone missing around the country, around the world, and two, that Wayfair has been providing furniture for ICE in the detention centers and children have disappeared and vanished from that. And there's just a whole host of different reasons why people think that Wayfair has done this. They're also accusing Amazon as being part of this as well. And I just, they've debunked it on so many different websites yeah. from Snopes to, you know, Yahoo did a fact check. Facebook did a fact check. It just seems very, very, very far fetched. Imagine having to do the fact, fact check on that. I'd be like this, swear words stupid <laughs> yeah and Wayfair yeah. basically came out and were like hey this is our bad this is a glitch in the system that has created these um, weird prices on these products it has nothing to do with a child sex trafficking ring we are so sorry we've taken these all down repriced them redone the description so that they're more accurate and our bad we're so sorry and these people still have gone forward to say there was even one couple from Arizona that purchased a desk to try to prove to their YouTube followers that it was a sex trafficking thing, that it was indeed tr the truth. And so they just thought they were going to get a child in the mail. Yeah, basically. Um, and they said they were going to dispute the charges and all that kind of stuff. And it's just craziness. I, I don't know whether it was a bid from them to increase their followers on social media, but who announces to the world that they're going to try this out and thinks that it's going to work? I mean, right. It, that just seems really bonkers. Nutty. I hope they can't dispute those charges either because they fully intended to spend that money. Well, I, I don't think that the charges actually went through uh, because oh, they didn't receive, for, you know, I think that Wayfair figured it out and was like, oh, we're so sorry, you know, we're going to go ahead and fix this glitch in the system. I think it was a yeah. glitch in the system. I don't by any yeah. means think that this was a real life thing. And I want to address this. And for these people, yes, there's a sex trafficking problem in the world today. I think yes. that there definitely is. And I think that that's been proven on many, many occasions. But I think it would be much more useful and practical and would provide so much more of a service to the world if these people would take the time that they're spending doing these stupid tests and reading these threads on Reddit and volunteer for an organization that actually helps make a dent in the child sex trafficking and child Absolutely. trafficking and, and, and just tra trafficking in general. Volunteer Absolutely. for these organizations. Do something that's useful and productive. Don't sit there and like slam Wayfair and, and make these really wild conspiracy theories and spend your time on social media trying to prove them. It just seems ridiculous. Right. If you're going to spend your time on social media, follow Nick Mick. They're at Missing Kids and they post Amber Alerts and all of that all the time. That's yeah. something useful you can do. There are so, so many volunteer opportunities where you can help stop this terrible, awful yeah. thing that's happening worldwide and I found this even more interesting because I did see an article the other day and I can link to the show notes on this as well that talks about how with the COVID crisis that child marriages in countries in Asia and Africa and um, India have increased just really? astronomically and that there has been a significant increase in young children being either sold into slavery because of the economic downturn because of covid and isolation and families are mm. desperate because they're unable to work and so they're selling off their daughters into these marriages with these older men and it just mm. it's so just horrifically horrifying and there's going to be some statistics that are going to back this up with awful numbers that I just yeah. suspect is going to happen because of the isolation and parents can't afford to feed children when they're all unable to go out and work and when family members get sick and they can't afford to take care of them so they're selling off these young girls into these child bride marriages 
right in mm. increasing numbers and it's always something that's been at play in a lot of these countries but now it seems that the statistics are showing that this has increased significantly due to covid mm. well that happens in the states too in some uh christian fundamentalist um groups too child marriage and um I don't know if it's increased because of COVID, but I, I mean, it, it is an issue in the States too. It is legal yeah. here too. It's awful. Um, mm-hmm. It's absolutely awful. And I just feel so much compassion for children that are sufferers of this. And there are things that you can do and there are volunteer opportunities and there are organizations that you can assist. So search that out. We will provide a couple in the show notes if that's something that you're interested in. It is a hot button topic right now. And I get it. People are concerned about it. People know that it's happening and want to help, but let's place our efforts and our energy into something that's going to actually provide um, significant help and assistance that's worthwhile for somebody that needs it, right? Second source your information, folks. Exactly. So we're going to jump into the main topic for the day, and it is somewhat related, and I do want to give a warning that this show topic that we're about to do right now has to do with children and acts of and children and sex acts so it can be very very traumatizing if you have some sort of an incident in your life where you've dealt with this you might not want to listen to this episode we are definitely advising listener discretion for this episode again this is very very sensitive dealing with topic dealing with topics of sex acts with children listener discretion is advised okay We're starting out, um, names in this story have been changed to protect the child victims. The adults in the story have not been changed. Their names are still as they are. So I have not Mm -hmm. changed any of the adult names because they are part of court records, which are public in access. But the children's names have been modified to protect their identities. Okay. Anne and Megan were best friends. They connected through school, they had a lot of sleepovers, they had soccer practice together, and they would often spend the night together, as young girls do, do these little summer parties and things like that. They both lived in Greenfield, California, which is a very small town close to Monterey. There, It's about 30 or so miles from the central coast. They lived in a very small, close-knit community where everyone knew everyone else. Megan lived on a ranch with her family, and they weren't very wealthy, but they lived a very modest lifestyle, and a lot of the kids would come over there to hang out with Megan and her family and kind of get that country farm lifestyle thing going on, which is nice when you live closer Mm -hmm. to the city to be able to get away, fresh air, play, have a good time, experience life in sort of a different way. So she had, like, the hangout house. Yes. Megan had the great country house in the middle of nowhere that everybody could go to and have fun and explore the country and just be a kid, which Mm -hmm. I lived in that sort of a house when I was growing up. And and it was a wonderful experience to be able to live in an environment where you can go out and play and not have to worry. Right. Mm -hmm. So Megan's best friend was Anne, as I mentioned earlier, and they liked to spend the night together and they... Anne lived closer to the city, so she would go spend time at Megan's house. And Megan's dad was 36-year-old Ronald Revis. And he was a former truck driver who was unemployed at the time, but had also been a prison guard at one time as well. And he would often encourage the young children to come to the house to play video games. And he didn't seem to mind that he was unemployed because he had more time to join the kids on occasions outside playing. And he was super fun and he appeared to be a very interested and hands-on dad. And despite the attention to fun that was to be had at Megan's house, her friends sometimes came home moody. How old are the kids? So they're like nine or 10. Not okay. They're kind of preteens. Okay. And Anne's parents started to get concerned because she would come over to the house and sort of exhibit, or she would come home after spending time at Megan's house with this odd sort of behavior. And she would be kind of cold and distant and grumpy and irritable. And her parents basically told her, hey, listen, you need to get your act together. Stop acting like a little brat or you're not going to be mm-hmm. allowed to go spend time at Megan's house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was the 90s when this happened. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of remember being a child of the 90s and dealing with similar sorts of things. You know, you go to a friend's house, you stay up real late, you don't have a bedtime, you come back, you're sleep deprived, you've had a lot of junk food yeah. usually. And so, you know, you're typically going to maybe show a little bit of attitude. Plus, she's a preteen and you're starting to experience right. hormones and things like that. So she, she I, I remember things like this happening. 
And other people's parents are almost always cooler and let you do more cool stuff yeah. than your own parents. And it sounds like her dad was really fun and they were just kind of this mm. hip, fun place to be. And she came home and was like, oh, you know, back to reality. Now I got to do mm-hmm. chores and do my homework and wash behind my ears and brush my teeth. Oh, yeah. and I'm like sure this. my parents told me to tighten up more yeah. than one occasion. Yeah. And sort of Anne responded to this by saying, it's not Megan. And just going to her room. So okay. her parents are like, um, we're going to have to cut this off. But April 8th, 1996, Anne's mom hears the phone ring and she finds that it's Megan's mom calling her. And she says that something has happened involving her husband. And she reveals to Anne's mom that her husband has been arrested for child molestation. <gasps> Ronald Rivas was arrested for child molestation. Now, the time period... There were a lot of creeps back then that were never prosecuted mm-hmm. for stuff like that, much less arrested. So you know that in yeah. this instance, if Ronald Rivas was arrested, that something very serious had to have happened. And I personally have been through incidences in my own family where members of my family were molested by fellow family members. And those individuals were never convicted, never arrested, never reported. There was definitely a stigma back then to reporting something like this because parents either did not believe their children in many instances, Mm -hmm. or they did not want their child to have to go through the trauma of a court case or having to speak to the police. They just felt like it would be too traumatic for the child to have to report Mm -hmm. this themselves. And that would be what would have to happen. Yeah, I think there's also probably some kind of thought of the police won't believe a kid, too. Right. Like, you know, kids lie and that kind of thing, too. Yeah. Like, that's probably... Yeah. So, you Mm. know that if this did indeed happen, that something very serious had to have happened along with it to cue the police that there was something going on. Right. But as it turned out, the last weekend in March, they had had a slumber party. Megan had had some friends over, and they had all been young girls between the ages of 6 and 10. And once the night was over, Ronald suggested that the girls stay over again. All of the girls declined except for Anne. As it turns out, the young girls had all been at this summer party, and most of them revealed that Ronald Rivas had molested them and had inappropriate behavior towards them. Oh, my gosh. And as a, through all of this, Ronald warned the girls that they had to stay silent and don't tell anyone what happened. Which mm-hmm. I don't think is unusual at all. Mm-hmm. And this is a community where the Rivas family was well known. And they were a church going family who had the neighborhood kids over quite a bit. They were permitted to take the children on outings as well as spend time alone with Ronald as he taught them about computer games. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this guy had been around many of the young children in the community for prolonged periods of time. And terrifying. the parents whose children admitted that they had been molested immediately went to the police to give them this information. Ronald Rivas had no prior record of child molestation, but was arrested nonetheless because so many people came forward to Mm -hmm. say he had done this. And this is the point where Megan's mom reaches out to all the other girls who attended the summer party and some of the other children in the neighborhood and asks them to tell their, ask them to, to ask them to have a conversation with their children about if anything happened with Ronald. Did did Megan's mom know about this prior to? Megan's mom does not appear to have known anything about this. There's and was no, he abusing Megan? There's no indication that he abused his own daughter. It was more Just like he friends. used her as a magnet to lure the friends in so that he could oh, abuse God. them. Yeah. When Anne's mom asked her if anything happened again, Anne says no and goes to her room, shuts the door, and curls up in a fetal position. Mm-hmm. And her mom comes in there and is just like, I know something bad is going on here. We need to talk about this. Something is definitely wrong. And at that point, Anne spilled the beans and told her that Ronald had been grooming her for at least two years since the age oh of eight. Oh, my God. Yeah. It started out with inappropriate touching in the beginning and over time moved to actions that were horrifically abusive. The case was quickly escalated to the Monterey County Sheriff's Office, where three other victims were interviewed at that same time due to the slumber party, having attended that slumber party. And um, 
It was discovered that although the other girls had just been touched inappropriately, Anne had an experience that was drastically different from the other members of that slumber party. As she slept, Anne was woken by Megan's dad, who took her into his computer room, and another man was waiting there. <gasps> the two men then assaulted Anne in front of a digital camera. Oh, my God. Yeah. The police searched Ronald Rivas' house and seized his computer and digital camera, and the FBI got involved at that point because of the, uh, the computer mm -hmm. issue, so that they could help in getting access to Rivas' computer. And what they found was thousands of images and videos of children in pornographic situations as well as chats as well as chat transcripts and global online pedophile community entrance and memberships oh my so God. this guy was into so much more than was obvious and evident from looking at mm -hmm. it from the outside in he had been chatting with pedophiles in chat rooms and through email for years in 1996, the Orchid Club was created by Revis to chat and share illicit images of children. So he mm -hmm. created this online community club that you needed to gain membership in order to access these images and chat about molestation and abuse of young children. You could only join if you had been recommended by an established member and the group members got to vote to accept or not accept a new member special passwords were given there were 16 members of this particular club where they all practiced their sick perversions Revis computer shared all of his con Revis computer had actually saved all of his conversations and allowed law enforcement to identify other members of the orchid club so although he was teaching kids about computers and computer games and seemed like he was really into it he clearly was mm -hmm. not that savvy if he didn't know how to erase or you know encrypt that stuff yeah i don't know i don't i mean i guess if you know enough to like start an online group you know enough about all that stuff but i don't know how much we knew right but that, i just don't like, think he 96. was extensively computer savvy like he right. was a creep and a pedophile but he didn't know enough about it to be able to do some of the stuff but let me get into a little further on this and you're kind of okay. understand what i'm talking about here okay but he did agree to assist the police in in the investigation and he would log on to his account with law enforcement and let police see it and view the exchanges with other members so that they could try to get more information and narrow down the other members um, okay, so this is like across the country? Yes. Across the this world? This was nationwide. Okay. Um, sometimes nationwide, okay. members met in real life, and they would film each other carrying out crimes against oh, children. Jesus Christ. And they had direct connections, and with they also, sorry, I didn't say that right. There were eight children at minimum that had direct connections to the Orchid Club and had been abused by club members. Despite desires to stay anonymous, IP addresses could easily identify members of the club, and these people didn't realize they could be tracked by that. So it was the 90s, though. They weren't able to pinpoint it to a specific address, but it was enough to where they could gain information and subpoena the phones, the internet providers, and get that information. Right, okay. So Ronald Rivas and his dirtbag partner assaulted this little girl... And his partner was 54-year-old Melvin Lee Myers from Santa Rosa, California. Melvin. Yeah. Isn't that a just creepy molester name? I'm sorry if your real name is Melvin. but I was going to say, sorry to all the Melvins out there, but that's not a great super name. Super creepy, like Chester the Molester type thing. But uh, Myers was from Santa Rosa, California, and he had some child molestation charges from 1970s. At that time, he spent about 60 days in jail and was what? supposed to be registered as a sex offender, but was not. Yeah. 60 days? In the 70s, they really didn't take this sort of thing very seriously, obviously. The penalties for things right. like this were not extensive at all. Jesus. And Meyer's home was also searched, and they found a bunch of pornographic images in his home as well. And if it turned out that there were a lot of kids from ages 2 to 12 that he had in videos and pictures that he had abused and had been in and around his home. Police tried to identify the abused children and they put out advertisements in local newspapers to try to find these kids' parents to make them come forward mm. so they could testify God. against this guy. 
Um, the police began narrowing in on Orchid Club members and they started to flip on each other, exchanging information about other members for later sentences, which, mm-hmm. you know, these yeah. guys are douchebags. They're going to do anything they can to try to get out yeah. of it, right? Police identified and prosecuted all 16 members of the Orchid Club and they were arrested in California, Oklahoma, Washington, Kansas, Illinois, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, and Texas, as well as Canada, Finland, and Australia. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it was worldwide. Mm. There were over 50,000 images of kitty porn, and all of the people that had these were charged with possession, intent to distribute, conspiracy, etc. Transcripts showed that there was tremendous excitement over what they called pedo parties, where Revis and Myers would broadcast assaults live on the internet of children. And these members would watch the assault and request certain acts to be performed. Yeah. So six men received additional charges of joining, abetting, and sexual exploitation of a minor. I hope they threw the book at these guys. Mm-hmm. This was the first time where authorities were identifying the use of the internet for real-time molestation, abuse, assault type charges on people of minors. And this was mm-hmm. really a new form of exploitation. Which was pretty yeah. scary, I think, for parents to realize this could be happening. But five for ad- sure. five additional victims came forward to say that Rivas had molested them and abused them between ninety one and ninety three, so he was really like cooking. Like grabbing wow. as many young girls to molest as he could. There's no indication that there were any boys involved in the, his particular accounts, mostly girls. But there were... he was just using his daughter like fishing yeah. Yeah. for other Jesus Isn't Christ. Isn't that just disgusting? Um, there were 18 counts filed against Rivas in California and in federal court. He was facing a possible life in prison, but agreed to plead guilty to federal charges for a 30-year sentence. He was guilty of conspiracy to commit sexual exploitation of a minor, conspiracy to traffic in child pornography, and sending and receiving pornographic images of children over the internet. Hmm. He pled not guilty, though, to the state charges of child molestation. Which, you know, what hmm. the hell? Like, really? Maybe he yeah, just felt like his ab- maybe he just felt like his abuse in prison would be worse if the child molestation charges were tacked on there. In any case. Well, I wonder if there's like a state versus federal. Because I've heard federal is supposed to be a little bit easier than state. That's entirely possible. Meanwhile, though, Melvin Myers faced five counts of molestation and pled guilty to all five. The victims had nightmares, stress, trauma, etc. from the events that happened to them, which... No of doubt. Um, yeah. That would be a lifelong thing that you would be suffering from. I have no Absolutely. doubt about that. And their families as well. Um, there were court sessions and therapy sessions that had to happen for the victims of this. And Anne's family actually ended up moving so they could start in, over in a new town. Revis was found guilty and sentenced to 125 years for the state Good. for the state charges. Oh, yeah. even better. So he got 30 years for the federal and 125 years for the state charges. Good. So, bye. He's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. Um, Melvin Myers. I would much rather prefer that than the death penalty. Um, yeah, make him suffer. Because when you're... Like a life sentence. When you're in prison like that, for a charge like that, people know. Prisoners find out. And yeah. you get a little jailhouse justice out of that. And I, I, I prefer that than like a life sentence because life, you can still be up for parole but like if you have a hundred something year sentence like you have to serve what is it like 75 percent of that sentence before yeah. you can get to parole right. so he's not gonna even get yeah. the chance yeah bye lock him up go with yeah me. Um, exactly because i just really don't feel as though people of those sorts of crimes people that are guilty of those sorts of crimes are rehabilitatable you cannot rehabilitate well, we, them yeah and we've talked about that before um with the alabama you know chemical castration law that they tried to pass last year the research shows that that pedophiles cannot be rehabilitated yeah and i'm going to get into that in a little bit more detail in just a minute here but okay um melvin myers refused to plead guilty and or excuse me he refused to take responsibility even though he pled guilty he was found guilty though and was sentenced to 300 years in prison good and this was under the three strikes law because this was his third Mm. strike he had already had prior charges bye yeah he's a habitual offender Absolutely. Police noticed that members of this Orchid Club, though, were also into another chat room that was still active. So they were kind of looking around to see what else these guys were doing. Because they were like, okay, if they're into this Mm -hmm. Orchid Club, I doubt this is all they're doing. 
Right. And they went into this other one called Wonderland. And this one was a little bit more well-hidden. And access was restricted by passwords. And police knew they had to catch a member to get in and expose the ring from the inside out. And they knew that there had been a gentleman, or they, excuse me, they knew that there had been a guy in England that had been frequently contacting Ronald Revis, and they tracked him to Hastings, England. This was Ian Bulldock. Oh, he occupied the home that was traced back to a profile in Wonderland, and they raided his house. They seized his computers, including 42,000 images, which was the largest catch the police had ever seen. He wow. had also distributed numerous images to 17 other users. So he was he had a big, huge group of images that he had, and he was distributing and sharing them to other members. Mm. The distribution of this ring police began to see was on a massive scale, and they tried to get access to Wonderland through Ian's computer but couldn't do it on their own. Wonderland had, a security, had security measures that were virtually unheard of in the 1990s including a bot to ensure strangers couldn't get into the chat room so whoever created the security for wonderland was like far head and shoulders above anything else that they had ever seen during that time period so much more advanced than revis's yeah yeah way way crazy advanced they had really put a lot of time energy money and effort into keeping this secure so that they couldn't be caught um they also had separate they also had seven separate security checks as well as two electronic gatekeepers which this is freaking bonkers to me the code for these programs was written by an ex-kgb member whoa and it ensured and it ensured that all communications in the room were encrypted five months of examination allowed police to find documents that members used to avoid police detection they were the rules of the club the members were screened and they would also meet up in real life and their members had to be voted into the group. So, in the meantime, though, a few towns over, a young girl named Lucy, who was nine years old, called her mom and told her she wouldn't, she wasn't coming home, because she wanted to hang out with her friend's dad, Gary Salt. Um, nope, that's yeah. not a thing. Hell to the no. This was a th- yeah. You don't hang out with friends' dads, right? Especially if you're nine years old. I mean, no. come on. And- Adults don't make friends with nine-year-olds. No. But Gary Salt was a 36-year-old taxi driver who had befriended Lucy through his daughter. He was grooming her, obviously. Lucy's mom threatened to call the police if Salt didn't bring her daughter home immediately. So, like, Lucy's mom was like, um, no. Good on you, (laughs) We are not doing this. Yeah. Salt brought Lucy home, and Lucy admitted over several months that he molested her. Mm. Yeah, basically. Um, he had also taken pictures of the nine-year-old, and he was immediately arrested. Police then seized his computer as well. There were 20,000 images of children on Gary Salt's computer, which just God. disgusting. Pornographic images of children. This was huge for the police since Gary was deeply involved in Wonderland, and they basically told him, hey, you're facing life in prison unless you agree to give us some access in exchange for reducing your sentence. And get get this, without help of Gary Salt to get into this Wonderland community, police estimated that it would have taken 44 years and 400 agents to unravel Wonderland's Holy encryption. Crap. That is how extensive it was. Crazy KGB extensive. don't play, man. No. Salt basically pleaded guilty to numerous crimes and got 12 years in prison. But meanwhile, local police were like, okay, we have to act fast because the members of this club are going to find out that he's been convicted Mm -hmm. and they're going to shut this down. We need to get this going immediately, get in there, get out as quickly as possible. And they hired some full-time computer consultants to help with that. These special assistants determined that the club had been going on for at least five years. And this club was just so freaking creepy. You had to present and provide them with 10,000 new or original images in order to get into this club. That was the f- join fee. Wow. Yeah. Imagine being that investigator. Like, you have to look at those images. That would be so traumatic. I can't even imagine. That would be awful. Like, how awful that would be. Um, the chats for Wonderland were active 24 hours a day with members constantly exchanging images, texts, having conversations. Just, can you imagine? Mm. 
the, the amount of creepiness in those rooms that are just sitting there talking about child molestation 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The and sheer so That means there have to be like multiple moderators to run this thing, to yeah. keep this thing active. Yeah. Wow. Dozens of users were chatting at any one time while trading child exploitation materials. The images were horrific. Not just naked children, but children suffering horrific abuse, assault, and rape on camera. Um, what's even more awful is that most of the higher level members documented their abuse and shared the content that they produced. They also recognized children that were abused and set up introductions with other members so they could meet the kids that they were abusing. Like a celebrity meet and greet? Yeah, they called it Meet the Stars. And they would take pictures of themselves with the kids in these other videos that had participated in these other videos. What the? F- yeah, yeah. Just mind-blowing by april 1998 the british authorities had created what was called operation cathedral to track wonderland members and to try to get something where they could charge all of them they started this basically this operation to get this under control and to shut it down and the authorities during this time would watch the comings and goings while identifying members of this club Gary Salt's, Gary Salt's arrest was public knowledge, though, and members were on edge. The police had to be very careful, and mm-hmm. they were attempting to track as many IP addresses and actual members as they could as quickly as possible because they knew they had a limited time on this. Yeah. By May 1998, police were closing in on the active members, and these were some super creepy dudes. There were members all over England, all over the world. I mean, it was pretty widespread. And they were monitoring comings and goings of one particular guy named Gavin who worked at a local club where kids did water born activities. Uh, yeah. Nope. He was a volunteer. Get that guy out of there. Yeah, he was a volunteer youth leader that worked with kids ages ten to eighteen. <sighs> Jesus Christ. He was extremely disturbed and looking at the chat log they could see that he frequently shared fantasies about abducting, raping, and torturing as well as killing children. This guy was a ticking time bomb. And a serious threat to kids. They put him under surveillance, but they couldn't risk tipping off other members if they yanked him out immediately. So Mm -hmm. they instructed police to follow him 24-7. And if he was ever alone with a kid or multiple kids, immediately arrest him. But they kept watching him very, very closely. By June 1998, police identified over 200 members of Wonderland in 33 different countries. Jesus. This was the largest global internet pedophile ring to date. And back then... I don't think people knew this was a thing. I certainly no, didn't. Certainly I, re- not. I just uh-uh. remember hearing about some of these cases and just thinking, oh my God, this is some really horrific, horrific, scary, awful, terrible things. Yeah. But um, they tried to get as many other countries as they could on board with this program and the coordination was very complicated. Um, they had to make sure that they were not sharing these images and you know, kind of perpetuating this ring of yeah. pedophiles. By July 1998, the United States developed Operation Cheshire Cat to get Wonderland members in the U.S., so this was kind of in conjunction with the original Operation Cathedral in England, and they had special agents that were tracking down members. Mostly, they were ordinary guys who had perversions behind their kids, family, relationships, and successful careers, so they hid behind these seemingly normal Mm. lives and conducted this sort of in the background. One of them was a university professor. Another one was a retired Air Force pilot. And there were a lot of law and medical students, which, ugh. Jeez. Um, August 1998, police evaluated the operation. And they were trying to figure out if there were any kids that were in immediate risk and when they should shut this all down and just grab as many members as they could and just end it. Mm-hmm. But they noticed that members were starting to hold daily meetings on law enforcement updates and they were encrypting photos that they were sharing. So they were hiding everything in more and more detail. So police knew they had to act soon. Mm-hmm. And September 2nd, 1998, 1,500 police in 12 different countries raided homes of over 100 suspected Wonderland members simultaneously. Whoa. They had to do this to avoid the members warning each other so they could destroy evidence. So it was all very, very tightly coordinated to do it exactly at the same time all over the world. All across Europe and U.S., over 100 suspects were put under arrest. Most were men, but there were a few women that were also involved in this. Um, One U.S. member was arrested in North Carolina. 
Um, he was a three-year medical student. Ugh. He lived with his unsuspecting girlfriend and attended med school during the day at Chapel Hill College. He even worked with kids, again, at many points in his career, and he had amassed over 70,000 images of kids being abused. Oh, my God. In Missouri, there was another content producer who was 34-year-old Scott Allemeyer. He lived next to many, many families and worked at a nearby store. He had basically a fortress out of this mobile home where he had these super thick doors, guns, bombs, cameras, and girls' underpants all over his trailer. Ew, God. He had them in bags. He had them stuffed into secret spaces. He had them put into ducks. I mean, he just collected them like some kind of disgusting sick pervert collector but that's not it his 60 year old father was also part of wonderland fred allemeyer oh my god yeah just ugh. so he's taught his son from yeah. a very young age to be like this too because you know it just doesn't start with the son like the father had to have taught him that oh yeah but um there were eight suspected or excuse me there were eight suspects arrested in england um the equipment was seized for all of them hundreds of thousands of images were also found until that point, this had been the internet had pretty much been very much unpoliced, and now they were yeah. starting to say, "Okay, we're shutting this down." Prior to Operation Wonderland, there were only about seven thousand images caught at any one time, but when they shut Wonderland down, they collected seven hundred fifty thousand images. Oh my God! These included abuse pictures, video clips, and all of this footage. They suspected that the 100-plus members probably had closer to 2 million images. Those were only the ones that they were able to find that were not encrypted or blocked or password-protected. So there were a lot of them that they were unable to pull up and find because they had just been hidden so well. Hmm. Police were reviewing the materials, and they were traumatized because these were children, yeah. toddlers, very, very young babies being horribly abused. And what was interesting is they were finding that some of the encryption was so advanced that they couldn't crack it. They never could. Um, interestingly wow. enough, some of the members committed suicide. One in particular um, was even more interesting to authorities because they were unable to crack the encryption that he hid all of his stuff in. And they didn't really have any evidence without being able to crack that code. And they wouldn't have been able to prosecute him, but he committed suicide nonetheless later days mm. by you creepy pervert um steven ellis and seven other members committed suicide um it took years to organize and find their way through this evidence that was collected for these wonderland members and wow. all of this was initiated by the ronald Revis case and without it police wouldn't have been able to even undertake most of this they wouldn't even know it existed it was by reviewing the ronald Revis case and looking at who he was chatting with, that they narrowed it down and found the Wonderland Club. Unbelievable. What's interesting, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, is that many members had no remorse. They basically thought they were just like-minded individuals, considered themselves in relationships with children. Which, unbelievable to me. Just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Um, most of them considered the content friendly and harmless, and would do it again. February 13, 2001, seven men in England got together for their sentencing. These men revealed, um, these men received a sentence of 12 to 30 months each. That's it. What? Current law said that they could get a max of three years. But all of them. They, none of them even got that. Yeah, all of them got much under that. One was under three months. Um, but what the police were able to take away from this was to collect a library that was filled with these images and use it to try to locate, shut down, and get help yeah. for the victims. <sighs> to me, this is just so very sad because most of these men within a couple of months had been released back into the community and only five had to be on the sex registry and only two of the five on the sex registry were there for life. So sentences were as severe as the laws will allow for that time, but they were still very, very disappointing to the people that were looking in from the outside. Yeah, Pedophiles could still be able to thrive online. There was a clear message mm -hmm. that crimes, these type, there was a clear message that these sorts of crimes were not taken seriously. 
and no one got the maximum sentence. This was basically just a slap on the wrist. However, after this time period, new laws in England increased and the max sentence is now 10 years, which to me seems not nearly enough for this right. sort of a crime. But following Wonderland, many other places sort of enacted higher and sort of enacted harsher legislation as well. Um, the problem was many of the police officers that worked on this case had to retire or needed extra counseling to mm -hmm. deal with seeing these horrific images. Yeah. Um, but this was the first coordinated effort to shut down a global pedophile ring. And this was sort of the beginning of our realization sort of as in the world that, that stuff like this was happening and needed to be eliminated and shut down. Um, even today, authorities look and see that there's a very high correlation between viewing these sorts of images and sex crimes against children. So they right. know it's not a vacuumless. Right. Yeah. So they know when they find these sorts of images that trouble, abuse and things like that usually follow. So they can either yeah. follow these people and monitor them or they can shut it down because they know that these people have already committed the abuse. So uh, you, I think as a as a country worldwide, as a parent involving children, you need to watch your kids. Mm -hmm. um, members say of the members of the Wonderland group say the group still exists. And the images are still out there. So police have taken these images, but one, as you know, once something's out there on the internet, right. it very rarely goes away. And yeah. most pedophiles and viewers of online porn featuring kids do not seek traditional treatment. And they do not consider their actions criminal. They consider their crime to be victimless. They don't even consider it a crime. Mm. Many complained that only a fraction of Wonderland users were actually identified and, identified and arrested, and this is true. Less than one half of the members of Wonderland faced trial, and only 14 countries participated. So the people that were in countries that never prosecuted, the members just faded into the woodwork. Are still yeah. doing it? Yeah. Wow. And the things like Canada didn't assist in the investigation and there were many they members didn't? in Canada. Those people were never prosecuted and countries like Russia and Iran and members in many countries where corruption is significant in, mm -hmm. the, in the government didn't participate either. Hmm. Um, but this did inspire other operations to catch online predators and hundreds more have since been caught and prosecuted and they've added thousands of images to database, to this central database, especially there's one in the U.S. that is used to identify victims and help stop sex trafficking, yeah. as well as to find missing children. Um, a good majority of those prosecuted with Wonderland got released early, though, and changed their names. This did not really mean a lot, though, because most of them reoffended multiple times. Mm -hmm. Because these men don't seek treatment, and they have no, right. they have no desire to rehabilitate. They cannot stay right. away from kitty porn. And out of about 750,000 images, only about 1,200 individual kids were isolated and categorized. They, the police now currently distribute these images, not the sexual images, but the faces of the children worldwide to try to help the victims because they want to identify them and help them mm -hmm. get help. Because these children right. that are involved in these videos and these images are at the highest risk for further abuse or death even. Right. Now, I just want to make it clear that these images in this database are only visible to law enforcement officials. And only 17 kids in the Wonderland library have to date been positively identified. 17. That's wow. it. 750,000 images and only 17 kids have been identified. Wow. Which means that there are literally thousands of young children yeah. out there in the world who have been abused and victimized and whose images are still out there to perpetuate this abuse. And these kids have not gotten help. They've not been assisted. Many of them are likely in danger and are at the greatest mm -hmm. risk for further abuse or even death. So it, it's horrifying to me. And this is just, I feel yeah. like the tip of a giant iceberg. Yeah, especially because we're just talking about the regular internet. We're not talking about the dark web. Right? So I mean, it's essentially, Jesus. it's an issue that's very, very significant. And having, you know, been through some abuse as a child myself and having family members that also went through abuse, I can absolutely identify. It is a traumatic, awful, terrible thing to happen. And it literally mm -hmm. impacts you for the rest of your life. Now, yeah, whether sure. you're able to move on and live through that and, and 
put it behind you is, you know, it depends on what you've suffered through and the kind of counseling you've received and, and a whole host of different factors. And I just feel so much compassion for the children that have suffered through things like this because they just, it just turns your whole life upside down. Yeah. But in any case, um, we're going to wrap the episode up for today. We will put some resources in here if you suspect that someone that you know is suffering from abuse or if you suspect that someone you know is perpetuating that abuse on a child, then it is really important to tell authorities and to get help. Don't keep it to yourself. It makes no sense, especially when you can report these sort of things anonymously. Right. So, do you have anything you want to add? I don't. That was super upsetting. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a really, really sensitive topic and it is one that can be very traumatizing for some people. mm -hmm. Um, And to me, it is something that needs to be addressed and helped. I I just, absolutely. Yeah. To me, abuse of children and animals like that cannot defend themselves, that cannot protect themselves is the worst possible crime. Yeah, and I agree. these people should be convicted and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. It's important to talk about it because there has been so much of it in the media lately. And so many people yeah. have been just reaching out saying, this is going on. We need to help. So yeah. I just wanted to highlight it because I have suffered through it myself. I have family members that have suffered through it. And this Wayfair thing just made me think about it. Um, reading about right. the article on that current event and the fact that this horrific abuse is still going on and is just rampant on the on the dark web as well as just the regular internet is right. is just horrific to me but um we'll put yeah. the resources in the show notes and this is the point in the podcast where we say so long farewell please rate review and subscribe if you have any questions comments or suggestions please send us an email we're at the bfd podcast at gmail.com and please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases darcy what is our social media Yeah, we're at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, and we are going to post some resources there for you guys as well. I am not going to be posting any pictures on this one. Um, It's just too too much of a hot topic for that. So we will be Mm -hmm. posting the resources, but no pictures on this one. So good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.